This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he a strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Mike Nussanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Mike Missinelli podcast. This is podcast number 11, and it's a very busy week. We did one yesterday as we looked at that glorious uh, Philadelphia sports weekend, and today it is time to get busy. It's a beautiful autumn day, and we're all bullied by the fact that we've got a couple of events that we're really looking forward to tonight. The Sixers take the lid off the NBA regular season tonight against the Celtics, and then about a half hour later, Game one of the NLCS, Phillies and Padres, in a situation where nobody in America thought that these two teams would be playing in the NLCS to get to the World Series. The Padres, the fifth seed with 89 wins. The Phillies, the sixth seed with 87 wins. But that's the way it works in baseball and short series. If you get hot, if you pitch well, if you play defense and don't make stupid mistakes, you can advance in both these teams have now advanced, and it's anybody's call. This is like a 50-50 series, so let's try to analyze it. Now, the Padres have taken out a couple of pretty good teams. The Mets did wilt at the end, but they were still a 100-plus win team, and then they buried the Dodgers, another like crazy winning team. So the Padres are coming in on a high, and here's where they have a little bit of the advantage. Let's try to get into where they have an advantage over the Phillies, where the Phillies might have an advantage over them. The Padres starting pitching is a tick deeper than the Phillies. Let's face it. The Padres are going to come out with Hugh Darvish in game one, although it's against Wheeler tonight. Uh, Blake Snell, and listen, the guy can pitch a gem, or he can melt down and and go 75 pitches in three innings. But he's going to be a tough left-hander for him. And, of course, he's the guy that hit Bryce Harper. He's very tough on left-handers. And then the third spot is a decided advantage for the Padres with Joe Musgrove, who's been pitching lights out. And that matchup will be against Ranger Suarez. Where else do the Padres have an advantage? 
Let's look at their relief pitching. We haven't complained at all about the Phillies relief pitching, but the Padres are deeper. In the postseason so far, an ERA of 2.19, a whip of 0.85. That's pretty good. And here's who they come out of the of the pen with. Watch out for a guy named Robert Suarez. He threw a bunch of scoreless innings against the Dodgers. He's a 101.5 top-out mile-per-hour pitcher. Then it's our old friend, Luis Garcia. Oh, we had Luis Garcia here. Remember, it's a big story. He was, a, he was cutting hair in Brooklyn, and then he got back into baseball, and then he was effective here for a little while. Then he, then he completely lost it. He went around the, the league a little bit. The Padres signed him. He's back in the major leagues. He hit 101 in the last series. I don't know how, but he did. And then they've got Josh Hader. Now, Hader, of course, is the left-handed closer. He had had a very lackluster season until recently, but he is back to being Josh Hader, a guy who puts you away with 100-plus. So they have a little bit of an advantage with those three bulls, but they also have Tim Hill. He's a late-inning lefty. Now, watch Tim Hill come in as a specialist for guys to Schwarber and Harper in high-leverage situations. And don't sleep on a guy named Steven Wilson in middle innings. So the edge, San Diego, has a little deeper of a bullpen, a little more reliable. Let's look at the Phillies' pen. They're two reliable guys right now, Alvarado and Dominguez. Eflin had moments. Robertson supposedly is coming back. I have no idea what he's going to present. Uh, Brad Hand has had a couple of innings. Bilotti, I mean, see, these are guys that you, you're crossing your fingers and hope that they can weather the storm, which puts the onus more on the starters going deep. Let's look at the offense. The Phillies are on fire. Six runs in four of their last six games. They scored seven, nine, and eight against the Braves, and this is despite no production from Kyle Schwarber, or very little production from Kyle Schwarber. Harper has been a rock. Hoskins, Castellanos, with Marsh and Stott and Segura and JT have had their moments. So they've been able to fill in to compensate for a guy, a power hitter who hasn't been as productive. Everybody is getting involved here. Now, this to me is the difference with this Phillies team. They're all playing with confidence and they're all playing with an identity, which is which is carrying everybody else along. Uh, I haven't seen this. It's like a wave where the guys you least expect are contributing and, and they're playing with confidence. They're not playing scared at all. But let's see how their lineup looks now, because with Snell in game two, tonight you're going to get your standard lineup. Marsh is going to be in center field. Stott's going to be a shortstop. I'm wondering whether Rob Thompson in game two will fiddle-faddle with the starting lineup and platoon. Will he put Veerling in center field uh, in, in place of Marsh, who's practically been you know, uh, gaining a lot of confidence, pretty, pretty, uh, been a pretty good hot player? Uh, or, and will he play Edmundo Sosa at shortstop for Stott against Snell, that remains to be seen. I wouldn't touch it. I would, I would go with my starting lineup, and, and I, would, I would believe that Marsh and, and Stott, and I wouldn't disturb that whole thing to see how they do against Snell because, again, Snell is not going to last very long. And if, if you make a change like that, you're going to revamp your lineup. The whole, I don't like to do that kind of thing. Um, let's look at the Padres. Juan Soto, great player, who's not had a great year. But it's hot now. which. Um, is trouble for the Phillies if he's hot. Soto and Machado in a one-two punch in that lineup is pretty tough. But let's look at who the Phillies have faced in these playoffs. Goldschmidt and Arenado was supposed to be a classic one-two punch. They did nothing. 
the Braves didn't hit at all. Acuna, Riley, and Swanson didn't do anything against them. So these chunks in the middle of the lineup have not hurt the Phillies. Uh, the Padres, bottom of the order, is not that formidable. But guys like Trent Grisham somehow have, have come alive, and, and now they're formidable. They, they've hit nine home runs in seven games. This is not a home run hitting team. All of a sudden, they're hitting home runs. Nine home runs in the last seven games. We know that home runs are essential to win in postseason. So Trent Grisham has come out of nowhere. And then again, there's Austin Nola. Who, I mean, he looks like a mediocre player, all due respect, due respect to his brother. Uh, Austin Oaks dig a very mediocre player, but he's been pretty solid for them. So um, this is who the Padres have. I think the Phillies, from top to bottom offensively, are a little better. I think the Padres are better pitching-wise, uh, so we'll see what happens. Let's look at some postseason stats now and, and to prove our point. The Phillies pitching, San Diego pitching, pretty much even numbers-wise. Um, the Phillies are at a 2.55 ERA with their staff. Their opponent's OPS is 562. They struck out 57 batters. They've only allowed six home runs and 16 walks. Pretty good. Pretty solid numbers. Padres, similar. ERA staff, 2.80. OPS for the opponent, 665. 66 strikeouts their staff has had with only 25 walks, and they have given up seven home runs. Here are the hitting analytics the Phillies 237 overall 717 OPS 49 K's and six home runs Padres meanwhile 239 703 OPS they've hit nine home runs but they've struck out 76 times let's look now at uh, the line of this series because I try to get a feel on the line to see who has an edge who people in Vegas are thinking? Right now, it looks like the Padres have a slight edge. I've seen the Padres at minus 25. I've seen the Phillies at plus 105 or plus 100. That's pretty even. But I guess they're giving the Padres a, a slight edge in the series at minus 125. I expect that this is going to be a long series. It may go seven games. So let's go and uh, analyze our pitching here. Of course, we're going to get Wheeler. And, of course, you're going to get Nola in the first two games in San Diego. When you come back home, you're going to have um, Ranger Suarez lined up in game three. But in game four, the Phillies are going to have to figure out something. And they're either going to have to go with Syndergaard or Bailey Falter in game four. The good news as the series goes on, there's an off day after game two. That means that Wheeler would be lined up to start with full rest for game five. However, Nola would not be lined up on full rest until game seven. So game six is pivotal. What will Rob Thompson do? Will he go to Nola on short rest or we have to bite the bullet and go with somebody else in that slot? Like for instance, if, if they pitch Syndergaard in game four and then try to, to make way with the bullpen for the rest of that game, would they start Bailey Falter in game five? At the way it lines up right now. I, I don't like that. You know, the Padres are going to have to use either Mike Clevenger or Sean Minea. So they're, they're dealing with a, a similar problem when they get to games four and games five. So there are the numbers. There are the statistical numbers. I don't know if the numbers mean anything at this stage. The Phillies look like a confident team. 
Now, can they carry that over into another series? That's always the question. Can you rely on the Phillies playing the way they've been playing? I don't see why not. You know, they're starting on the road. I think that really is to their benefit because they, they've done this now twice in two series, and it hasn't flustered them at all. In fact, I think they've welcomed it where they play on the road like they've got nothing to lose. They play loose. So uh, if they can steal one in San Diego, uh, obviously we're, we're talking about a major advantage for the Phillies. And, of course, you have to rely on Wheeler to do that or Nola. And you know, chances are that either one of those guys can deliver one of those games in San Diego. Let's bring in um, Darren, our producer, the voice in the wilderness. Uh, Darren, how are you feeling right now about the series? To me, it's a seven-inning series for the most part for the Phillies. You talked about the Padres' bullpen. They've got fireballers, man, the eighth and ninth inning, particularly Hayter. I still, I, I still can't believe that Milwaukee traded him at that point in the season while they were still in it. Uh, it's a mystifying trade for me, but uh, the Padres certainly benefited by it. So you got to jump on these starting pitches early. Um, So, you know, it's a shame we get Wheeler on an extra day of rest. He's a dog again tonight, which is is interesting to me. He's been an underdog, I think, in in at least two of the three games he's pitched in the postseason so far. Um, On an extra day's rest tonight, no less. The the guy I want to see with an extra day of rest, of course, is Nola. His his splits when he has an extra day of rest are off the charts. Um, but you know, you got to jump on these pitchers early because once you get into the eighth and the ninth, you know, they, they're the, that pen is that good. That's one of the main reasons, if not the main reason that the Padres are where they are right now. All right. Um, I would expect that Wheeler would have been a a slight underdog anyway. Let's face it. The home team is always going to get points for being home. They're, they're on pretty much of a roll. They just thrown the Dodgers. So they're getting a lot of credit for that. And you Darvish is no joke. I mean, he's an experienced starting pitcher, playoff caliber pitcher. So that doesn't bother me uh, that much. I've also seen him lose it. I haven't seen Wheeler lose it in a really long time. So that might be the advantage uh, in this game tonight. Um, and this postseason, you know, like a lot of baseball postseasons, the road team certainly, you know, it's not like the odds are that stacked against the road team. You know, road teams have done very well in the Major League postseason the last few years, particularly this Phillies team and this 2022 postseason. All right. So um, are you predicting? Are you in the mood to predict right now? Or are you going to hold off and wait? I think the Phillies win the series. I think it's going to go six or seven games, but I do. I mean, they're the. I mean, they're both. Here's the thing: there are two teams who are very identical in a lot of ways. Um, good lineups. Uh, there's something about this Phillies team with a lot of pop. Schwarber's got to come alive in this in this series, though, for them to to win. I think. I think, and I think he will. I like the Phillies to win in six or seven games. I think they win the night, by the way. I actually uh, share that sentiment. I think the Phillies will win this series. Um, you know, I've I seen a lot of teams, uh, and this team looks like it has a look. Uh, I don't want it happen, whether they click the switch or whatever it is. They're playing with a lot of confidence, and uh, that's a team that I look at in a postseason. You're playing with a lot of confidence, and you're getting production from all people. Um that that tells me a little something. You and I have been working together for a long time, Mike, and, and off and on. And you know, you have said that about a lot of sports, like a, if a team gives you a feel or they have a look about yeah. them. I think you can say that in baseball more than any other sport because I just feel like, you know, 
you can see it happening in real time with the confidence and, and when a team gets hot in baseball more than any yeah. other sport. There, there's no question about that. that. The only thing about it, baseball, it though, is that sometimes it doesn't translate from series to series. Uh, you know, I've also seen teams go cold after they look hot because uh, uh, a pitcher – in this case, Darvish shuts them down, and then they, they start to not believing in themselves as much offensively. That's the only thing that I think can shut them down. But if they get off to a good start tonight and they can score runs early, uh, I think that'll take care of it. Um, so there you go. I, we both like the Phillies, um, and I'm not trying to do that as a Yahoo. I, I think the Phillies have more of a, of a look right now than the Padres. I think you can rely a little more on the Phillies offensively then you can the Padres, which uh, which with if, and if you can do that, you kind of can take their bullpen out of play if you get the lead. So there it is. That is our look at the Phillies, and we're going to go deeper on the Mike Missinelli podcast. Uh, Sixer talk coming up. It's the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, let's get a little deeper into uh, Phillies Padres playoff analysis with our next guest. He's live from San Diego. He's a former Phillies beat writer, spent many years covering the Phils on a daily basis, and now he's got an elevated position with the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's just a writer now, a general assignment, and uh, he picks his, he picks all his assignments. I think it's really interesting. He's Matt Breen. Hello, Matt. What's up, Mike? Yeah, now I, just, I get to parachute in now and just stroke my chin and sit back and write something. It's great. It's great. You just call your own shots and you don't have to have that daily grind. <laughs> However, I, I, I just want to make an observation here. As soon as you leave the Phillies beat, they have a chance to go to the World Series, which I, which I find very interesting. I would have left a while ago if I knew that was the case. And that's what one of the front office guys said. He saw me in Atlanta because I didn't go to St. Louis and I wasn't in Houston. So I show up in Atlanta and he's like, this, so this is, this is the reason. That, that you know you went away and we won. I said, hey, I would I would have left in 2015 if that meant you guys could win the World Series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it took a load of pressure off their shoulders, and, <laughs> and they're playing with all kinds of confidence. But let's look at this series because uh, listen, you you're you're still plugged into this team and what they are, uh, and you saw what they were, and now all of a sudden there's this transformation. So from from you looking at it. How did this happen exactly? Um, I think there's a, a obviously multiple reasons, but one of the things is they're a lot deeper than they were than, than the teams I covered. Of and, and like and not going back to 2015, but going back to like this era of this this September collapse era, of the last few years, they're just a deeper team. They're, it's not just Bryce Harper and JT Romuto. You can go down the bottom of the lineup, and not that the bottom of the lineup is going to carry the Phillies, but they can at least when they're up to bat, it's not an automatic out. You know, Brandon Marsh could come through with a three-run homer like you saw, you know, in the last series. And, and and the bullpen, it's not just the eighth and ninth inning guys. They have guys that viable bullpen arms and that can handle the, the sixth and seventh inning if needed. Um, it's just a deeper team roster construction. And then other things I noticed just being in the clubhouse um, during the last series and this week in San Diego, it's a very likable group of people. Um Oh, there's baseball teams, a really big roster. And there's always a couple guys that um, when you're on the beat that not the, they're not like bad guys, but they're just like, you kind of avoid maybe that section of the clubhouse. And it's like, you know, ignore these guys. And you have your group that is like the good guys. It just seems like a really, maybe they're winning. So that, that could kind of cloud things, but it just seems like they're a, a group that gets along. There's no clicks. Um, and the Bryson thought was telling me that, that even the young guys hang out with the old guys and, 
it, it just seems like a really cohesive team. And like I said, it's a really deep team. So that, that's why they're in the playoffs. Uh, also, they, they made a couple adjustments, which I found interesting, and they brought stability. Uh, Marsh is, is not a great player at this stage, but he's a good player, and, and he gave them some reliability from what they didn't have. Stott's the same way. When he replaced Gregorius, like, he didn't hit it first, but he, he gave you a different look, a, a, a look of, of, of more stability. And then the other transition was Alvarado, who came back from the minor leagues, uh, to, to me, those three things have really helped stabilize what they were. Yeah, and center field, we've been talking about that, Mike, for seems like forever. Like, how are they going to – is it Odubel? Is it Adam Hazley? You know, who's going to play center? And they finally found – they didn't find a superstar center fielder, but you said they. I think they found a stable, everyday center fielder that can play a supporting role in a contending team. Same with Bryson Stott, a young player who can – and this is, this is important too, and obviously, you know, it talks about so much that we don't even mention it, but – they changed managers, and that was a big thing of not like that Rob Thompson has a magic wand, but he's at least willing to let Bryson Stock go out there in the, in the summer and to struggle and to play through struggles and to get to where he is now, that where he's, again, he's not, he's not you know, the best player on the team, the superstar leader, but he's playing a role. He's holding his own in the, ma- in the majors and in the playoffs. Um, had a great at-bat in the DS that kept that inning going, the six-run inning, and that's important that the managers letting the young guys kind of play through it and, and not play with the pressure that they have to perform or they're, or they're going to the bench, which you saw last year with Bowman when he played like half the games the one month before getting sent down. And Alvarado was wild since they got him, couldn't trust him. And now he goes to the minors, switches his pitches up a bit and comes back and is, m- might be going forward, might be the closer. Who knows? Like, you know, when they need to save, this series, it's it's not sure. Obviously, they don't have a closer. It's not a set. But who would have imagined that Alvarado might be on the last out to send this team to the World Series? We're talking to Matt Breen from the Inquirer, uh, who covered the Phillies for several years. And so you brought up Thompson. So let me take you back. Because uh, as a beat writer, you covered Girardi. And so you probably have a, a better perspective on what that change did. I mean, Thompson was his right-hand man. So uh, it's really interesting that his dynamic is that much different than Joe. But w- what was the difference in that dynamic that you saw as a beat writer? Yeah, so, and Rob was with Gabe. So we knew Rob, you know, for a decent bit. Um, I remember Gabe's first spring training. It was like Gabe was way to the left, and Rob was like the guy trying to bring him a bit to the center. He was like, the you know, the more standard baseball guy. And that was what they had said. So he had been around for a while, but even when they fired Kapler, I mean, fired Girardi and moved in Rob Thompson, I thought it was like the Spider-Man meme when like Spider-Man looking at each other. And it's like, well, what's the difference? You know, it, like you said, it's his, it's his best friend. It's his bench coach. I just didn't, to me, and, and again, I'm not on the beat at this point. I'm just floating around. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of, it doesn't move the needle for me, but I was wrong. And I'm happy to admit, you know, this is a, to- and now you're seeing who Rob Thompson is. He kind of, he operated in the shadows. He was very um, – he's not like an attention guy, cameras over here. Like he was – he just did his job, and we knew he got there. Everybody knew the book on him was he shows up at 6 a.m. and stays till 3 a.m. And, you know, he's just this worker and grinder in the shadows. And now he finally got a chance to be the manager and to show you who he really was. And here he's quietly been doing that kind of stuff, even going back to New York. He was always that guy. He was always – um, players, even though he was a bench coach or a first base coach or third base coach, he's always had a connection with the players that 
maybe, you know, the media didn't see as much as we're seeing now. And it didn't take long for this team to, you know, show that more publicly that this was their guy. And I think you've seen a lot, just a, a more comfortable clubhouse because of that. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because that's always uh, – I always thought the key to being a successful manager is not how brilliant you are in your head because, you know, baseball pretty much you can, you can, you can manage along uh, if you know the game. Um, the key to a manager is that somebody who makes everybody feel good about themselves so they can go out and, and, and play to their abilities. I, and I think Charlie Manuel did that. I think Thompson, I can see, does that. So what was it about Girardi that that didn't come to play? I think he was very um, cut and dry. Uh, it's more, it was like a, not that it's, it, obviously it's a business, but it was more transactional and not a re- relationship. And, and now I sound like Gabe Kapler, relationship building, but like real, you know, re- relationship. And I think Rob Thompson's found a way to, to have, you know, bonds with his players, but also be the manager and be able to go in the clubhouse and have a conversation with a guy that's not, just about the game that night and, and you know be like a normal normal person that's what uh zach wheeler said that he's human and it's like yeah that you know that's 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 what you need to be you're we're all human beings and these guys are baseball players and they're humans too and he's he's found that way to strike that chord to be a normal guy but to also be the manager and to make this clubhouse want to play for him and, and you saw that when if bryce harper's wearing your shirt you know i ride with philly rob and you you have him on your side, then you're gonna you're gonna win over the clubhouse pretty quick. And and it it just it's been that way. And even when times got tough in September, you know it's it would have been a way to lose out. And you know it, no nobody kind of fell off that that bandwagon with him. Uh, talking to Matt Bree. Matt, before we get back to uh, some analytics of this series that I want to discuss with you, I want to discuss the dynamic of being a baseball beat writer. Because, uh, you know, being in, in newspapers for a lot of my life, uh, I always thought that that was the hardest job that any sports writer could have, being a baseball beat writer. Uh, and I'm curious to know, uh, in, in your experience a, as the beat writer, uh, how, how you negotiated the landmines of being a beat writer, being with the team every day, having to forge relationships, but also having to tell the truth. Was that difficult for you? And how did you handle it? Yeah, I think as long as you're fair and you're down the middle and, and you're there every day, then that's what the guys want. Like, even though you're in the clubhouse every day, so just say Bryce Harper, for example. So you see Bryce Harper every day. Bryce Harper, baseball superstar. He, do, he doesn't want you to fawn over him. Like, that's not how you, that's not how you get closer to Bryce Harper to, you know, to get to know him. You, you, you report on him fairly, um, smartly, you know, ask good questions, write good stories, um, fair things. And that, that's how you get the respect of these guys. Like it's not just because you're there and that's how you get access and you write puff pieces and stuff like that. Like that's not how it works. So you have to balance that to be able to be willing to just play, do your job. Like your job is to report for, not for the team, it's for the report for the fans that are back in Philadelphia while you're in Chicago or Houston or, or San Diego and to bring them a little bit closer to their team, to educate them, to, to obviously, I mean, the fans are smart, but, but, to, but to bring them something that maybe they don't, they don't know from watching the game or from being away from the team and use that access to, to, to um, help them and, you know, to, to help everybody and to, educate them and it's neat it's my job was always 
to, I always thought of it was like, what can I, if you're watching the game tonight, Mike, what can I write today that's going to, when you're watching the game, you're going to be like, oh, I read this in the Inquirer today. And you're going to, you're watching the game with your buddies and you're going to tell them that you read this. And, it, you know, it furthers your, it enhances your, your viewing of the game. And then the other part is like, you're on the road a lot and you just have to like almost turn your life over that like, this is, you know, covering the team is your life. And you need to know, you don't need to know 25 guys. You need to know like 200 guys, like every guy in the minor leagues, like you better know like where he's at, what position, how he got here. Um, just have like this Rolodex of useless knowledge, but it's, it's not useless, but it's your job. And that is the one part that like, it hit me this summer, the Phillies, I think they DFA'd somebody like somebody off the 40 man. And I'm like, who the heck is that guy? I didn't know who he was. And I'm like, for my whole last seven years, I obsessed over everything from top to bottom, knew everybody. And they DFA'd somebody. I never heard of him. And I was like, it kind of felt good. Like it kind of was like, you know, a little freeing. But but I am enjoying this is like getting on the, the bandwagon of the beat again and just being on this for this ride for the playoffs. It's fun to like, you know, get my beat rider wheel spinning again and, and to, to live this just a small little sample. It's definitely fun. Yeah, that's cool. I, I guess uh, uh, to take it a little further, I'm, I'm wondering where you draw the line um, because you need you need the players' cooperation. You would love to t- to have them tell you some insights that nobody else would have. And I, and I wonder if there's a line that you you have to kind of straddle to get chummy or not. You know, like what 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 is that like? Because getting chummy with them, maybe I think the natural person would think if you get chummy with them, they'll give you more than they would somebody else. Yeah, I don't. I don't maybe, I, I, but that's not like. So I was brought up in this business. Um, you know, I had good good mentors, and Matt Gelb, who covers the team for the Athletic now, was with the Inquirer, and he took a he went on a, a year of doing news, and I went, got to be the beat writer and stay since then. And he said. Uh, before my first spring training, he said, he said, just watch Jim Salisbury, who obviously covers for NBC Sports Philadelphia. Watch him, how he does the job. That's my best advice. And, and that's what I did. And that's what I tell other writers now that are covering the team. Like, watch. You, we have these, like, three guys, Gail, Jim, and Todd Zalecki, who have been covering the team for a really long time, people I grew up reading. And that's what I did. I watched how they did it. And they don't, they, they don't break news or write good stories because they get – chummy with the athletes and the coaches they just they're there they're they're knowledgeable and and the players and coaches see that they not only are they there knowledgeable but they love the game and and you know we all have this shared passion for baseball and that is that comes over to these to the athletes and they respect that that you're not just like doing a job that you don't want to be here that you want to be here too and and, you know you 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 want to show them that I love you I don't play baseball I know I suck at baseball but I love baseball just as much as Bryce Harper does. And I think he sees that and, and they see that in those guys. And that's, that was the advice I got. I don't know if that's the right way to do it, but it's, it worked for me. It's how I thought, you know, I enjoyed doing the job. It's just, you know, be kind of like the guys I grew up reading. And that's, that's what I tried to do. Yeah. I, I think that's the A way to do it. Uh, really. Uh, you know, just uh, knowing w- what I went through, I never wanted to get chummy, but I just wanted to, to, to make them think that I was going to be fair with them, but I had to ask certain questions because my my employer was really the people that were going to read me. Uh, so I think you've done a fantastic job. Thanks, uh, All right, let's just uh, quickly touch on the analysis of this. The, the Padres are a slight favorite in this series. 
Matt, where do you think they have the edge and where would the Phillies have the edge, uh, you know, and, and back and forth? I think the slight favorite definitely plays a, a role in the home field advantage. It seemed like that in the Braves series that, that those odds like shifted as soon as the Phillies stole a game. Um, so I, I think that obviously plays a role that, you know, they have an extra home game and they're starting the series at home. Their starting pitching is probably deeper rotation wise than the Phillies. Um, but the lineup could is, this is a big part too, and why I think the lineups are can can be equal. I'm walking to the ballpark yesterday, and I see a Fernando Tatis banner near the ballpark, and I'm like, oh my god, I, I you know I forgot this guy should be on the team. And how different is this series right now if they have Fernando Tatis along with this lineup in San Diego? And just I think that changes that changes a lot, and that that makes you know this a winnable series for the Phillies. Um. Back into the bullpen, really good in San Diego. Obviously, they got Hader at the deadline, but Philly's back end has been been really good. Like they they might not have a Josh Hader in name recognition, but Serenity Dominguez has been really really good in October. Um, and that is, I just I think it's two really good teams that were built um, kind of at the same time. Obviously, San Diego was a little bit ahead of the rebuild because of the farm system, but they both went in big in uh, the Harper Machado sweepstakes. And then they both were built to be in October at this point, but they kind of underachieved this year, um, had the fight to get to the get to the wild card. And then they both knocked off heavy favorites in the first round. And it's it's a series I can you can see going both ways. But the way I see it is um, I think they the Phillies split here and I think they win all three games at home. Just being at the ballpark last week, it was Mike, it was nuts. Like it was like. It was honestly insane, that crowd. It brought me back to 08, and it might have been even louder. It was just wild. And watching that Braves team, and I don't want to I, – I, you know, I caution myself saying this because they're professional athletes, but they looked scared. Like, they really looked like they wanted no part of that crowd. And, and again, they're pro athletes. They probably weren't scared, but it looked like it. Like, Marcelo Zuna, I've never seen an at-bat, the at-bats that he had. He just was swinging at every – it looked like me in softball. Like he just was like swinging at whatever, and it was like he wanted he wanted to get out of there. And in game uh, game five, four, I said I said before the game started, I was like, this game series is over. Like this team, they already have one foot on the airplane, and it was it was done. Like it just it, it was just absolutely insane. And you and that's the good thing about you know being on the beat, you get to go to these other ballparks, and they're loud. Atlanta was loud, and San Diego is going to be loud, and they're going to be crazy. But when you go to the East Coast, like it is life or death for these people. And it's not, it's not like that in other, other cities. Like I said, in Atlanta, it was like, it was the, uh, the Alvarado game. And they're, you know, when Alvarado's like doing the mound thing in game one in Atlanta and uh, the fans are, it's like the seventh inning game's tense. This guy's taking like 15 minutes to, to fix the mound. The Philadelphia crowd would be like booing this guy off the field. Instead in Atlanta, they're dancing. They're playing some song and dancing around like goofballs. So I'm like, it's like a, like they're loud, but it's like let's have fun at the game. In Philly, it's like win this game or like I'm quitting my job tomorrow. And it's just it's just different. And I really think that <laughs> plays a role. I think that's going to really. I, I just the Phillies didn't lose a playoff game in 08 at home, and I don't think this team's going to lose a game at least in this series at home. Wow. Yeah, uh, I made the same observation with the Braves. The, the Phillies just took their heart. You could just tell. Marsh at that home run. I, I'm just looking at these guys, they, and they're, 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 the bottom dropped out of them. Uh, and, and that crowd has a lot to do with it. So, so you're predicting 
uh, a split. And then, so this is a, a to you, a five game series, five game series. And it, it reminds me of 08 in the way that um, like the Phillies won the world series in 08. And that's I mean, It's awesome. It's great. But let's remember their path there was fairly favorable. You know, they had brewers in the first round who kind of ran out of steam with that crazy September the Cubs were the best team in baseball. They clinched the division in like August 1st. Like they, you know, they were awesome. They got swept by the Dodgers. The Dodgers were not as good as the Cubs. They beat the Cubs and they got the Rays in the World Series. And now you're looking at this Cardinals. Like, was that, you know, once they got the Cardinals in the first round, I was like, the Phillies are going to win that. They're not that good. Bra- Braves were good, obviously, but probably not. A, they weren't like the defending world champion powerhouse. It was a beatable defending world champions. And now instead of the Dodgers, they're getting the Padres. And the, and the Padres are on a pushover, but they're not the Dodgers. The Phillies would much rather be playing the Padres than the Dodgers. And then later on Tuesday, the Indians, I mean, the Guardians might beat the Yankees. And I just, that feels like Ray's Red Sox to me. Uh, Matt, this has been great. I uh, appreciate it. And I know you're, you're covering this game tonight. And uh, so people are, are listening to this podcast uh, on the Bet Rivers Network. Uh, glad to, to to hear you say Phillies in five with three straight wins here. But you just, I mean, this town, I I can't believe it. Uh, I have to go back so many years to to look at, at the, the the sports climate that is just you know, buoying this this city. It's it's just pretty amazing with everything that's going on. And uh, Phillies going to the World Series is not, I don't think, something that anybody thought was going to happen. But it, I agree with you. I think they have this look. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for being part of the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. It's the Mike Yusinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, let's finish up the Mike Yusinelli Podcast for today with a look at the Sixers. Again, the podcast you can catch on any podcast network, wherever you get your podcast. The Bet Rivers Podcast is just called the Mike Yusinelli Podcast. You put it in, it'll pop up for you. Uh, This is uh, a Another, this is the second episode we've done this week because so much is going on in the city of Philadelphia. It's podcast number 11. Uh, and if you haven't heard the first 10, please do. You can always uh, catch it on uh, Bet Rivers Network uh, or on uh, wherever you get your podcast. So, Sixers uh, season tag, uh, unhooks tonight. Um, and now there, there's, there's Sixers Celtics is always an interesting game. This is one of 82. All right. So, first game of the year, it's really hard to get a gauge on what you're going to see uh, for an entire season. So we'll take it a little at a time. The Celtics, of course, are our team a little bit in disarray. You made a Doka scandal that hit them, and they're trying to patch it up with a, a very inexperienced assistant coach. Um, so let's look at the Sixers and, uh, and, and see where they are. They're a much deeper team, and that's what they needed to be from last year. We all saw their flaws. Their bench was terrible. Uh, now they're able to have the guys that played last year out of necessity are now pushed way down the line, which actually helps the Sixers. And, and we'll look and see what that uh, is going to look like coming off the bench. Uh, here's the main theme. And, and the, the question, and I originally thought this was a major question, which was, uh, can James Harden play like a superstar? Does he need to play like a superstar? At first, before they made all these moves, I thought he did. Now I don't. Nor do I think he can regain superstar status. I think James Harden is what he is at this point. Uh, the days of him scoring 35 points in a game are few and far between. But he is still a valuable player for what they do, especially in tandem with Embiid. And the, the pick-and-roll game has to improve. I, I think it will improve. I think it'll be dynamic. 
once they get it together and, and it's like automatic. Uh, just a couple stats that with Harden and Beat on the floor last year, without the pick and roll being defined, they outscored their opponents by 15 and a half points per 100 possessions with both of them on the floor. And this is with a subpar Harden. Um, only 21 games. The sample size is small. But you still, with those guys on the floor, the spacing that they can create. So um, originally I thought Harden would have to be hardened again. I don't think that anymore. And I don't think he can be hardened. But I think it's going to, with the bench guys that they've added, the depth they've added, I think it's going to be fine. My other question, can the backcourt with Maxi? And Harden hold up defensively. You saw last year, Harden's not a defender. And um, teams hunted Maxi on, on defense. Listen, I love the kid. But right now, he's not at an NBA-level defense. And it's, gonna, it's a work in progress. So th- that's, that's a, 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 a major point for me, defensively, that backcourt. But they can substitute. And um, the two guys that they can bring in that could be nightmare for uh, the opposition defensively Anthony Melton is a tremendous defensive player and Thibel. When they unleash both those guys on the floor at the same time, they're going to be a really tough defensive team. Now they have to be in rotation. So here's the rotation um, I look at. Uh, obviously your starters, Harden, Maxine B, Tobias Harris, and P.J. Tucker, who adds some toughness at age 37, still looks like he can play. It's a much better starting lineup. Off the bench, DeAnthony Melton, Thibel, Daniel House, another perimeter player that they didn't have last year, who's who's a lot more versatile than what they have. I'm not a bang bang George Niang fan, but he's going to be in the rotation coming off with Montrez Harrell. So that's ten guys right there: the Anthony Melton, Daniel House, Niang, Montrez Harrell, and Thibel off the bench. That's much deeper than they were last year, and that pushes guys like Shake Milton, Furkan Korkmaz, Paul Reed in the 11th, 12th, and 13th spot. Before, those guys needed to be in the 6th, 7th, 8th spot. So that's a major upgrade for the Sixers, getting deeper so they can take those guys that really were part of a bad bench last year and make them sort of like bit players and, uh, and almost irrelevant. Uh, the other question, obviously, is Embiid. How will they be able to manage Embiid's minutes this year in a regular season while also gaining a top playoff seed. Um, a lot of people have the Milwaukee Bucks winning the conference with the Sixers finishing second. Um, now, uh, I, you know, it, it, does a playoff seed matter? I, I would think that it does matter. I would think they would like to finish as high as they can. So that means Embiid is going to have to play a lot of minutes. Harrell will help, obviously, lighten the load, and, and he'll take some games off. Um, so I, I think that Doc Rivers can manage this team a lot better because he's got more options to manage this team. John Hollinger, who I uh, respect a lot, covers the NBA for the Athletic. He has picked the Sixers to win the NBA title while picking them to finish second in the conference. So um, let, let's look at the um, what, what, let's look at the standings here uh, on where they can. They can line up. If if this is true, if Milwaukee's going to finish first and Sixers going to be second, I'm just going to project my predictions out. Celtics third, Heat fourth, Nets fifth, Cavaliers sixth, leaving the play-in tournament, Raptors, Hawks, Bulls, Knicks. Uh, I'll, I'll just take a shot and say, okay, the Raptors finish seventh. They survive, they'll finish seventh. And that means the Sixers will play them in the first round. 
the 2-7 matchup then would play the 3-6 matchup in the second round. So the way I have it, the Bucks would play the Hawks as the eighth seed in the first round. The Heat would play the Nets in their playoff series. The Celtics would play the Cavs. The Sixers would play the Raptors. If you go by chalk, it would be the Bucks Heat in the second round and the Sixers and Celtics in the second round. If it plays out that the Sixers finish second and the rest of the team stack uh, as I predicted. That's way down the road, though. So we're not even talking playoffs right now. Uh, so the Sixers tonight against the Celtics. Again, we looked at this hard need to play like a superstar. Can the backcourt hold up defensively? Can they manage Embiid's minutes? Can Tobias Harris be a better catch-and-shoot guy? He wasn't last year. That's good. They, they, I know they've been working on it. That's got to happen for Tobias Harris to maximize his ability. He's got to be able to catch and shoot and score and shoot a lot more threes. He doesn't shoot enough threes. Um, so, so there you go. There, there, there's what I see with the Sixers tonight. Uh, so I know everybody's going to start watching the Sixers. You're going to flip to the Phillies. You're going to be probably going to be back and forth. Um, game one of the Sixers season is not as meaningful as game one. Of, of the NLCS for me. So I'm going to be all in on the Phillies tonight. All right. That'll do it for today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it is the Mike Misnelli podcast. And again, you can get it on any podcast network. We appreciate your support. Uh, bought by the, uh, the Brought to us by the great people at Bet Rivers. We're going to have another podcast later in the week as we look into the uh, football weekend with my picks. And the Eagles are on a bye. So uh, we, will, uh, we will obviously be looking at the, the first two games of the Phillies. We'll talk about that. And uh, we'll give you some selections on Thursday. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Mike Bissnelli podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, Go Phillies. Go Sixers. And we'll talk to you later this week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissnelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.